0: I'm Shannon Bream. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Kennedy. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, July 15th, 2022. I'm Alex Hogan. As countries and corporations respond to Russia's invasion with sanctions, Iran is reportedly sending something different. Drones
1: the iranians are standing to teach the russians something when it comes to drones and now the iranians stand to teach the russians something when it comes to getting around sanctions
0: this is the fox news rundown war on ukraine
1: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News hourly update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
0: Russian President Vladimir Putin will visit Iran next week. The meeting comes amid reports that Tehran reportedly is providing drones to Moscow as the war in Ukraine drags on.
1: So it really depends in great deal on the type of drone. You know, there's multiple different kinds of drones, not just in the U.S. arsenal, but also in the Iranian arsenal.
0: This is Benham Ben Taliblu, a senior fellow at the Foundation for Defensive Democracies.
1: In the past decade, the Islamic Republic has really grown uh, its unmanned aerial threats to include these various kinds of drones. You obviously have surveillance and reconnaissance drones, which would do a lot potentially for ISR capabilities for the Russians on the battlefield in Ukraine. Uh, But you also have armed drones, drones that can basically just deliver munitions. Uh, This is the one where the Islamic Republic's drones aren't uh, as up to par as some of its other counterparts. Uh, But there are loitering munitions. And sometimes some of them are called suicide drones or kamikaze drones. And these are drones that the Islamic Republic has actually. Uh, produced uh, and actually tested and proliferated, and these kind of function as the poor man 's cruise missile, uh, if you will, and you know can be considered potential rivals at least in design uh, to versions that you know the u s has the Turks have the Israelis have, um, which would again give the Russians again on the battlefield a kind of a precision guided strike capability at a cheaper cost.
0: Obviously, this would be intensifying the war, especially given some of the attacks that we saw just yesterday with dozens wounded, more than 20 people died after a strike that was actually sent from a submarine.
1: Mm yeah I mean I, it would certainly also uh you know give the Russians a lethal capability. the Russians already have obviously a wide varieties of 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 military capabilities they're obviously a conventional military power the Islamic Republic of Iran is not but it's very telling that the Russians uh, admit that the or if if the story is true and 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 the sale or supply or transfer ends up going true it would make the uh, Russians uh, oddly for the first time, reliant on Iranian military power, whereas for the past few decades it was the Russians that were bolstering uh, uh, the Iranian military power after the Iran-Iraq War. And it would make the Islamic Republic complicit in some of these crimes uh, on the battlefield that uh, the Russians are committing.
0: Well, let's go back a little bit and let's talk about that, the relationship between Iran and Russia- And as President Vladimir Putin is expected to go to Iran, what do we really expect coming out of this trip?
1: So the, the political backdrop or the, the veneer for this is that uh, the Astana group, which is basically the non-Western axis of powers who have a different version of what uh, Syria should look like, have met several times before. They haven't met, uh, I believe, during the earlier part of the pandemic. So there was a lot of Turkey, Iran, Russia meetings that were delayed. This meeting is supposed to make up for it with both Erdogan and Putin coming to Tehran on the 19th, if I'm not mistaken. But at the same time, Iran has different requests and different business with each of these countries. Um, You know, Turkey and Iran, they kind of compete together and collaborate together in very different spaces in the Middle East, and they've been able to compartmentalize their friendship and their rivalry. So a lot of this new positive spin about what Erdogan is going to be doing because he's you know, trying to make amends with the Israelis, it doesn't necessarily mean that this guy is going to become anti-Iranian overnight. Turkey, despite being in NATO, uh, has been you know, one of the most permissive sanctions, busting jurisdictions for the Islamic public in the history of U.S. sanctions. So that's something to take note of. And that's something that the Iranians may press the Turks on this go around as well, especially as Erdogan is looking for less trouble and more business uh, and more wins abroad, given that he has a uh, electoral contest next year 2023 the centennial of the turkish republic with putin and and uh, the iranian russian relationship it's complicated because Uh, the Russians and even the Chinese have looked to use Iran as a pawn in their game of strategic competition against the West. So while Iran is a partner of theirs, Iran knows it's a junior partner. You know, Russia and China are the great powers that are able to compete at least much more effectively in their regions than uh, the Iranians. And the Iranians have selectively been able to get military hardware or be able to use the cover of a Russian veto or be able to use Russian political access to their benefit, to stall Western pressure, to stymie, Western pressure. And ultimately, these are trend lines of things to come. And Washington needs to be aware of this uh, that when bad guy A and bad guy B get together, you have problem C. And even though it's not a formal alliance, the nature of their relationship, the military relationship, the sanctions busting relationship is changing. Now, what I would say here is just like two decades ago, where the Russians would give the Iranians political cover and the Russians would help the Iranians on the military side. Now the Iranians are standing to teach the Russians something when it comes to drones, and now the Iranians stand to teach the Russians something when it comes to getting around sanctions. The Iranians have four decades of sanctions busting. The Russians now are subject to heavy Western sanctions, and they're still trying to get their oil out and take advantage of exceptions and marking conditions. This is exactly how the Islamic Republic has survived sanctions before, and it is certainly something they're going to try to teach their partner, Moscow.
0: Does this trip surprise you at all, given the fact that we really haven't seen Putin travel internationally since the beginning of the war up until really last month when he made his first trip?
1: Uh, it is it is very significant on that front. You know, also on the Iranian side, if the meeting happens, not just with Putin and the Iranian president, but Putin and the Iranian supreme leader, uh, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, uh, and these two men have met before uh, in, in Iran. Uh, but Ali Khamenei doesn't really meet Western officials. So in this sense, again, uh, it, would, it would be a sign of, of these cementing ties, particularly after some were skeptical when Iranian President Raisi had met. Uh, Putin, if I'm not mistaken, or at least another Iranian official had met Putin uh, in Russia. And some of the press were saying that their reception was a little bit more lackluster or or, or wasn't as warm as some would have thought. So this trip could in, in many ways make up for it. But it's a sign of Russia looking to instrumentally use Iran and drawing politically closer to it. And, and this is going to be a great feature of strategic competition uh, in 2022 and into the next few decades.
0: So since the war broke out in February of this year, countries and corporations have slapped the Kremlin with really harsh sanctions. What have we seen Iran do? How have they responded in the last several months besides this this latest potential round of supplying weapons capable drones?
1: Well, uh, it really depends, because during this time, from really the month of March, you could say, the invasion happened in late February. Uh, since the month of March, the Russians allegedly held up the Iran nuclear deal because they wanted to make sure that they could retain sanctions, carve-outs for business purposes and also n- a nuclear cooperation with Iran. Uh, so they still do want that, that resurrection of that 2015 nuclear deal known as the JCPOA. And on the sanctions front, you're likely going to hear Putin and Khamenei and, and really other hosts of Russian and Iranian officials stress that, you know, they want all Western sanctions lifted, that Western sanctions are unjust. So in terms of messaging, getting them on board, uh, you know, it's it's going to be very difficult to know what, if anything, what the, the Iranians. Could would, te- would teach the Russians that will go public, but the Iranians have learned and have been able to teach others about taking advantage of the formal financial system, getting around banking, secondary sanctions, financial sanctions, and illicitly selling oil. So I think the, the trip could be the first of many focal points uh, to really begin this sanctions-busting process. And let's not forget also that Um, As much as there is the potential for military cooperation and and sanctions busting, if this deal is also resurrected, it would carve out space for Russia, which traditionally does use its nuclear industry to gain revenues to deepen its footprint uh, in Iran's nuclear program at a time when Iran's nuclear program has expanded significantly. And even the European powers are the ones saying that, oh, my goodness, some of these things are irreversible. And the Europeans have actually been saying this since last November.
0: You're listening to Ben and Ben Talablu, a senior fellow at the Foundation for Defensive Democracies. More on this coming up after the break. Well, speaking of the Iran nuclear deal, that's really been one of the big topics during President Biden's four-day trip in the Middle East. He talked specifically about that on Thursday with Israeli leaders saying that the U.S. will not allow Iran to acquire a nuclear weapon. So in all these conversations that are taking place, both in Israel and in Saudi Arabia, how do you think Iran is responding to the White House's trips and commentary?
1: So there's there's a couple different, uh, I think, strategies at play. Really, since the Abraham Accords, and even before that, when you had the Iranian cruise missile strike uh, and drone strike against Saudi oil facilities in 2019— Uh, Iran has been trying to rattle uh, the members of the Gulf Cooperation Council um, to really not join this coalition of Western pressure against Iran. But really, in the past decade, it's been these Iranian security threats that have been driving the GCC not just closer to America, but closer to Israel. And you get things like the Abraham Accords. And Washington does really have a great role to play here in not just making sure that these accords are successful and ties deepen, but that they're expanded and potentially even include Saudi Arabia. Arabia and in some other countries in the region, because they are all responding to the same external stimuli. There is a great opportunity now for Washington to work with its partners in the region to offset not just rising Iranian drone power, but ballistic missiles, cruise missiles, really the whole spectrum of unmanned aerial threats that Tehran procures, produces and proliferates and really uses to give to its proxies uh, to strike some of its uh, adversaries in the region, be it Saudi, Israel or others in one of the many conflict zones in the Middle East. So really, D.C. can help organize a more integrated air and missile defense system, not just to protect U.S. service persons and facilities, which do need to be bolstered and beefed up, but also this constellation of pro-American forces, which are all looking at the same threat with the same set of worried eyes. And so while the nuclear deal has always taken the oxygen out of the room when it comes to... um, the Obama administration, the Trump administration, the Biden administration, the Iranians have been trying to, to go for this two-handed game of diplomacy with a handshake and a knife to many pro-American partners in the GCC, like the United Arab Emirates, and even indirect, even directly a few times to the Saudis, to try to get them to hedge away from uh, this coalition for pressure, to get them to not you know, double down on, on this architecture of missile defense against them. And I think the Iranians may have some surprises in store for us potentially this summer or later. Uh, You know, no one can predict when the next Houthi missile strike will be your next potential uh, interruption to, you know, the the free passage of ships in the Strait of Hormuz and or Persian Gulf would be, but ultimately the Iranians like to create havoc because they're trying to show the regional partners that America doesn't have their back. So post Biden trip to the region, it's t- uh, the administration is going to have to act on what it means to be a good partner to the U. to the Israelis and to the Saudis and to anyone else in the region who is trying to offset this rising Iranian threat.
0: Well, in terms of actual action, how do you see that happening and what measures would need to be taken place as opposed to just potentially diplomatic words at these meetings?
1: So, yeah, my my concern is that some of these uh, things may end up just being promises, but that the step one of the action, perhaps on the Israeli side, but really for the benefit of the whole region, is to embrace the penalties that the Biden administration has inherited, the economic, diplomatic ones. Um, that constitute U.S. sanctions. You know, you've had a year and a half of unenforced U.S. sanctions against Iran that has allowed Iran to generate more revenue illicitly. That more revenue has allowed Iran to say no at the nuclear negotiating table. Uh, and really just drag out talks for as long as they've been going on with, with no end in sight and with the Iranian nuclear escalation essentially going unpunished, with the exception of a few much more recent penalties from the Treasury Department. So step one, actively enforce the sanctions you've inherited. Step two, add new penalties, perhaps under new authorities, or take advantage of a broader range of existing authorities. Step three, honestly, would be put a date uh, that could function potentially as a sort of Democles or a trigger that could function as a sort of Democles for the end of these j c p o a talks you know there there is no strategic sense now of going back to a deal that was. The, you know, deficient to cover the Iranian nuclear program by 2015 standards, let alone by how far it advanced in 2022. So perhaps you know, even step away from the JCPOA altogether without revoking the option of diplomacy. Then you know, pivoting to things like that integrated air and missile defense system, stepping up expedited uh, you know air and missile defense sales, and really doing a kind of a convening role uh, for the U.S., the Saudis, the Israelis to see who needs what in the region and how fast can we get it and who has the best available technology. So you want to signal resolve against the Iranians. You want to continue to use sanctions the tunnel of punishment, deterrence and coercion. You want to make sure your friends and allies know you have their back and you want to make sure they have the capability to defend themselves against these rising new Iranian threat vectors.
0: Obviously, it's, of course, worth noting that Iranians say that their whole Idea and their their focus is completely peaceful, and that um, all of these claims basically are unsubstantiated. Um,
1: yeah, so the Iranians have been saying this for a while because the Iranians have actually a pretty clear, consistent, coherent, concise, and cost effective foreign and security policy, and their whole aim here, at least under the auspices of the Islamic Republic, is to say that foreign military forces cause instability.
0: Ben and Ben Teleblue is a senior fellow at FDD. Thanks so much for your time.
1: Thank you so much. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up to the minute news, go to foxnews.com.